couple of years ago, I started playing uh, this free-to-play game called Top Eleven. Play Top Eleven. It's a Facebook game, and they eventually put it on phones as well. It was a soccer game, but it was like you weren't playing soccer; it was a managing game. You were in control of player lineups and signing new players and everything to, down to upgrading the seating in your stadium. The thing is, when I started playing it, I didn't want to spend like any money, so I started role playing as if I was. I had inherited this team that didn't have a lot of money and had to be sort of really smart with how they spent. I invested all my money into developing young players, and when I would actually splurge and sign somebody, I tried to find really good bargains. And then every once in a while, when I had like all the pieces in place, I would spend like a couple real-world dollars to sign like a superstar player to fill up my team. And it was cool, and it worked for maybe like a year and a half at the first year, or so it, it worked. Won trophies and stuff. But then, when you kind of reach the higher levels of the game, it almost became like real life. The people who would win were people who actually spent, and it just kind of became not fun anymore. I ended up quitting, although it was really hard when you kind of invest that much time into something. It felt like a real project to me. I built this sort of foundation for this. The soccer club, so it's really hard to step away from. Hello, everybody, and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast from TheVerge.com. I am your humble host, Christopher Thomas Plant. Today, I am joined by my colleague, my friend, games editor at TheVerge.com, Andrew Webster. How are you doing? I am very well. Today we're talking about free-to-play games. Are they a menace to society? Will they take all of your money through your children's spending habits on a cell phone? We'll answer those questions. Uh, but first, we'll answer the very basic question. What is uh, free-to-play? Free-to-play is kind of a terrible name for what these games actually are. Um, the free thing is kind of a misnomer. It's more of, they're, they're not free games. They're sort of free to start. Um, so it's a game where you can download or start playing it right away for free without spending any money. Um, but once you get into the experience, there are things you can buy. Um, sometimes it's like you buy new characters or you buy new clothes for your characters or you could buy extra lives to keep you going. Um, it depends on the game, but it's it's kind of a, the free part is sort of a misnomer to kind of get you into it. What are the origins of I, I guess this term or this idea? I think the idea kind of goes back to uh, like as it is now, kind of goes back to like the early two thousands when you had a lot of um, web based or browser based like web games, stuff like Neopets, which is like this. Um, kid-focused sort of virtual pet game and stuff like Maple Story, which is this really enduringly popular uh, Korean role-playing game that is still running right now. Um, so those were kind of 
like a niche thing. Um, I think where it really became um, what we know now is free to play is with Facebook. Um, the thing with Facebook is that when people started making games for it, there was no mechanism to buy games and that still doesn't exist. So games had to be free. Um, so they developed this way of making money off of games that you couldn't actually purchase. Um, and they became like really insanely popular with stuff like Farmville and Cityville, which Cityville at its peak had something like 60 million people playing it every month okay let's talk let's talk about that when i think of free to play and the origins of it farmville is of course the thing that comes to mind uh made by the studio zanga tell me a little bit about zynga and how it how it came to be and how big it was kind of at its peak it was huge i mean zynga is kind of like yeah it's like the poster child of facebook gaming it's the biggest company from that sort of era when Facebook games were actually a thing. Um, it started in like 2007 and then released Farmville in 2009. And it was kind of, Farmville was like a really simple game, but it had kind of this soothing progression almost where you could play it for like a few minutes a day and it felt like you were doing stuff. But it was also released at a time when Facebook was really different. And so uh, one of the ways that these games spread is that you could really kind of spam your friends with requests so that they would play the game as well and then once you kind of it was almost like a pyramid scheme once you got people playing then you got bonuses and so you'd keep doing this and so everyone's wall was sort of spammed with requests for farmville and cityville is super annoying um and it was successful for a while though and so at its biggest thing i had something like it's like a quarter of a billion people playing across all of its games um and it was also despite success kind of like really notorious for being a slimy slimy company that copied other people's games and got sued a lot for it yeah can i can i tell you my biggest fear about uh the zynga facebook thing sure so so for me like free-to-play games or just games were kind of facebook's first big uh dipping the toe in the water of markets that aren't social media right mm-hmm. Uh, where they're trying out other business models. And they have this giant audience that they can, like, essentially direct whichever way they please. And they can reward companies that play whatever the game is that they are currently playing. Uh, by game, I mean, like, the business game, not, like, the video game game. Uh, and Zynga benefited a ton from this by being, like you said, kind of parasitic, or I guess viral, uh, in making it so that they could take advantage of Facebook's system and uh, just spam the hell out of all of Facebook with their ads and get as many players as possible in a very short amount of time. Now, the big thing that Facebook uh, is involved in is the media game. And like now, media outlets chase Facebook views uh, through, you know, like general posts, and then like videos become popular. So now like they're uploading live videos, or well, first they're doing normal videos, and now live videos. And it feels like this scary thing, having been somebody who was in the games press, who watched uh, what Facebook can do to a company, watching like now every major media company seem to be like toying with similar games is kind of terrifying as somebody who's in the media business. Yeah, and I mean, especially when you look at um, where Zynga is now, like once 
Facebook sort of changed things and kind of shut off those ways of um, breaching players, like Zynga just kind of has been on a very downward spiral since then. And it was really slow to kind of adapt to other platforms. And so it is, it still exists, but it's kind of very much a shell of its former self. Yeah, I guess that would be the one thing is it seems like most media outlets, one, they're not quite as exploitive. I, I think like uh, things like, I can't even think of the names of the sites. I don't want to say distractify because that wasn't maybe the worst, but those kind of viral sites were closer to a, a Zynga of media. But I digress. Let's talk about good things because surely there are, there are good examples of like free-to-play games that are out right now, right? I mean, there are. It, it kind of uh, depends on who you talk to. I mean, there are good things and there are bad things about free-to-play games. Um, for me, the one thing that always kind of bothers me is like timers, games with timers. So like, it's the thing that actually was kind of popularized with those Zynga games where you're building something in, on your plot of land and you have to either wait a couple hours for it to happen or you can pay real money. But um, for me, the stuff that kind of works really well in these games is stuff that has kind of like a real world parallel. So I think a really good example is um, Hearthstone, which is it's a digital card game from the people who make World of Warcraft and Starcraft and stuff. And the way you get new cards is you buy a pack of cards, which is exactly how it works in the real world. So it, do it doesn't feel weir weird. It feels like you're playing Magic the Gathering just on your iPad. And so it makes sense to buy a pack of cards are what are what are some really terrible examples give me specifics here of of a new thing so one of the things that's really popular in um japanese free-to-play games is um this thing called gotcha and it's, it's it it's not gotcha as in like i got you it's it's based on these um vending machines in japan called gotchapon machines which are those you know, you get those little capsule toys and you don't know what it is until you open it up. Um, and so a lot of Japanese mobile games are about collecting monsters. And so they have like literally the exact same thing. You put in a token that costs real money and you put it in the machine and a thing will, you'll get a creature that pops out. You don't know what it is. Some are more rare than others. And um, the thing that feels weird about it on in a digital form is that you kind of don't know what the odds really are of getting these things because there's no physical toys in front of you. Um, and so Bloomberg um, ran this story a little while ago, but this, this guy who was playing this really popular Japanese game called Grand Blue Fantasy, and they had this promotion where you could get this really rare character at a higher rate, and he ended up spending $6,000 in a night trying to get this one character. Um, and he eventually got it. That's why he stopped at $6,000. But, you know, when you're expecting this thing to drop through this promotion, it just seems like it feels much shadier in a digital form. Yeah, I mean, and the only way, I guess, you could kind of track the percentages of success would be to manually do it. Yeah, you kind of have to trust that they're telling you these percentages are, are what they are. Ugh. Okay, well, you, you just mentioned this guy who spent $6,000 in one night on one of these uh, games. Tell me a bit about who these people are who actually pay for them. And, and I've heard the term whales. Is that, is that still a thing? Yeah, so I mean, like, the vast, vast majority of people who play these games don't pay anything at all. Um, and then you have a, a sort of smaller group people like me who will spend like a few dollars here and there. 
Um, but the, where the most of the money comes is from, yeah, what are termed as whales, which are, they make up around 2% of players of these games, but they make up more than half of the money spent. And they're just people who will spend a ton of money for whatever reason to kind of like move forward in these games. And so what happens is you have a game that is supported by a very, very tiny percentage of the player base and studios are forced to kind of exploit this and kind of market really heavily to these people who are going to actually spend money on the games. I mean, how do you you personally feel about free-to-play free philosophically, right? Because, I mean, both of us, we've been playing games for a long time. We are okay spending $60. When we were kids, we probably spent like $80, maybe more in Canada. I don't know. Guess that's how it works. We pay a lot. And, and plenty of the games that we've bought are probably not that great. Do you think it's good or bad that you could get something like, what, 60 hours of enjoyment out of a game and spend nothing or spend a couple dollars? Does that does that seem weird to you at all? I mean, it definitely seems... It, it, uh, when, when you say it like that, it definitely seems like unsustainable where it's like a game is giving you so much and you're kind of banking on these other people spending money for it to actually be successful. But at the same time, it's been around for many years and it is continually growing and growing it doesn't seem like it's going away so like philosophically i think that i'm okay with it it just really depends on the implementation like i play i have a folder of my like shame folder on my phone of free games um, that i play some of which i play you know daily and it just depends on it's kind of like a matter of feel like if it feels fair then i'm okay with it um, whereas if it feels exploitive like the game has been sort of hampered in some way to kind of get money out of me, then that kind of ruins it. Okay, uh, let's talk about Android, because I know that is a weird issue. Some popular paid games, as in games that you like upfront spend a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars on iOS, go free to play when they move to Android. Why is that? Well, there are, there's a couple of reasons. I mean, the big, the big example of that is a game called Alto's Adventure, which is really was this really pretty snowboarding game for iPhone that cost like $3, I think. And then when it went to Android, it implemented a free-to-play model where it had ads and stuff. And there's basically two reasons why a developer would do something like that. One is that Android has really, really bad problems with piracy. And if your game is free, then people don't really have a reason to pirate it. And the other is that Android is has a much bigger market share in places like China and Japan, which are like massive markets for this kind of uh, for mobile gaming and in order to be successful there you pretty much have to be free like paid games kind of have no traction there whatsoever but we also see is there's also a lot of games that regardless of kind of where what platform it launches on initially that start out as paid and end up shifting to free because for for that reason for those reasons and also because you can just reach like such a bigger user base. Um, the kind of preeminent example of that is Threes, which was another really nice looking, clever puzzle game on iPhone, which was, I think, also $3. Um, what happened with that is it was cloned um, and someone released a game called 2048 that was almost identical to it, except it was free and it was on Android. And the copied version was like by orders of magnitude more popular than the, the paid game, the real one, Threes. And so eventually the developers of threes kind of took this as like a learning opportunity and realized that 
you know, we should have been free in the first place. And they ended up releasing a free version of threes to kind of get to that bigger, bigger audience. Okay, we we are going into the future now. Five years have passed. Ten years have passed. You look down at your children. They're basically grown up. The sense of mortality is filling your entire body. And the first thing you think is, hey, what's happened to free-to-play games? I think that, (laughs) I mean, they'll be playing Minecraft because that's just not going to be a thing that goes away. But other than that, I think that honestly... uh, free-to-play will become i mean it already is in a lot of ways kind of the dominant sort of monetization strategy the biggest games in the world are free and i honestly don't see that changing when you look at something like uh league of legends which right now it's basically the biggest pc game in the world it has 60 million people playing it a month it's hard to kind of go back from that and you know other the the thing with games is that you touched on it before like that kind of $60 upfront price is a big a big roadblock for a lot of people. It's the things that it's something that other media doesn't really have. Like I don't need to spend $60 to listen to a new song or something. And so by making games free, it kind of opens it up to this whole other group of people who doesn't maybe don't consider themselves gamers, they don't really play games and that's what developers kind of want to hit. They want that huge mainstream market. So I really think five, ten years from now, it's just going to become a bigger thing. I mean, you already see, you know, I think Nintendo is kind of a good thing to look at because Nintendo is, like, notoriously slow to adapt to trends, and, like, even they are making free-to-play experiences. So I just think it's going to be a much bigger, bigger thing than it is now. How this is we're going to end on some just rampant speculation. How many years do you think it is before Destiny or Call of Duty are free to play in some in some capacity? I and we're not going to include like there already is actually a free to play Call of Duty. I think in Korea right now. It's in China actually, and it's in, in China. And there's a free to play Halo in Russia. So I don't think it is very far off to be honest i mean destiny is already a free-to-play game that you just pay up front for basically <laughs> yeah, oh great both <laughs> so i mean a couple of years i don't think it is going to be that long at all well that's i think that's a good way to end i like hey look the games that you like are free maybe that'll change them in a terrible way maybe it won't we'll we'll find out when time catches up with us here in the future where where it's just you and me alone (laughs) um thank you for being on the show you're welcome and thank you to our producer andrew marino thank you to you our listeners without you the show wouldn't exist um i i want to thank uh some kind people who left reviews on our itunes page and you know what i recommend that you go do the same thing because it does so, so, so much for this show. So if you enjoy the show, that's a good way to help. Uh, I also recommend that you listen to other iTunes shows or just other podcasts. Do I have any for you right now? I don't. But somehow we're going to digitally add them in right here. Control-Walt-Delete. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. Bye. Ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba.